0: You know, sometimes you learn more by what someone is not saying than what they're actually saying. Kind of know what I'm talking about? Sometimes people make a bigger statement not showing up for something than actually showing up for something. And, and sometimes, sometimes, you know, a person's absence speaks louder than their immediate presence. You know, one of the places where that is true is with God. That, that many times we become more aware of God, we, we become more in touch with God. Many times God does his most profound and important work in our life when he seems most absent in our life. That, that really is what the book we're about to dive into is actually all about. We, we're about to start a journey that we have been working on for months and months, and, and I was going over it with the, the leaders of small groups this, this last week, Thursday night, and I almost was bursting, because this is just waiting to come out of us, and, and all of us have been leading and teaching and preparing, because this book is just one of the, the coolest books in the entire Bible. It, it's an exciting book. It's a page-turner, and, and if you've never experienced the story that is the book of Esther, uh, you're getting ready, and you should get ready for a treat. You should fully engage. You should do group. You should do devotions. Because it is a page turner, this story. Now, now, to just go ahead and just dive in, I want to just read from Esther chapter one, verse one, and, and just kind of lay down a little bit of background here and, and help us to begin to start watching for the one who's not mentioned. Watching for the one who's not mentioned. Another way we could say it is looking for the one who seems like it didn't show up. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna look at this. So Esther chapter 1, verse 1. It says this. It says, Now in the days of Azazarus, the Azazarus, you've heard of him, you know, who reigned from India to Ethiopia. Now, any of those you who have geography in your head, think about that. From India to Ethiopia, this guy had a huge kingdom. Um, and, and, and he ruled over a hundred and twenty-seven. Provinces. It's one of the greatest empires in the history of the world. So it's during the time of this king's reign, and the king is one of the main characters in this story. It says, "In those days, when this king sat on his royal throne in his capital of Susa, in his citadel, in his palace." And so this is a story that begins with a king in a palace unbelievably powerful and 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 it's an incredible story now now the thing about this story is that let me just say it this is a freaky story turn to the person next to you and say it's freaky no really say it because it's freaky it is a freaky story and and the closer you look at it the more you go dang that's in the bible You know, should that be in the Bible? In fact, just to kind of put it on your radar, there was a huge debate when they were gathering up the books of the Bible and recognizing the ones that God had inspired. And there was a huge debate whether or not this book should even make it because there's several things about this book that are stunningly surprising. But then all of a sudden when you see it, say, oh. That's why this is here. In fact, it's crucial that this is here. And there are some lessons that are taught in this that have incredible relevance for how we live every day. So, so what's so surprising about this book? Now, the first thing that's surprising about this book is that God is not mentioned once in this book. Gods not mentioned once. It doesn't mention the Lord or Jesus or the Father or any he's not mentioned one time in this book. Not only that, things like prayer or going to worship or or spiritual practices or priests or religious activities, none of that is mentioned in this entire book and it's the Bible. So you'd kind of expect it to show up. It's just not there. Now, Now, what this has done is this is actually done, some people think that it was done because when it was written, it would have been illegal to speak about God, and so they, they hid the messages in there, and that that is one theory, but I actually believe that what's going on here is a brilliant literary device that God gave to the author of this book, so that the main purpose of this book could just be blown up, and the mo- really the main purpose of this book is that when God seems the most absent that's actually when he's the most active let me just say that again when god seems the most absent those are usually the times he is the most active and and that's so much of the message of this 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 book and so god at first when you first read it seems absent from the book but then when you start looking at it he is everywhere listen now the invisible hand of god is all over this book and it is absolutely glorious now the second thing that is surprising about this book is that the heroes of this book are not actually the ones we would have chosen. They're they're not the people we would have expected. So there's really basically four main characters in this book that we're going to discover together. The first is the king, and the king's kind of an idiot. He's a drunkard. He is manipulated by everybody in the book. He is the most powerful person in the world, totally controlled by other people. Now, now, the second person is the evil villain by the name of Haman. And, and he's just a wicked person. And the thing you need to know about Haman is that he descends from a group called the Canaanites. And the Canaanites, listen now, have an ancient hatred against the people of God. They hate the people of God. And so he comes up with a plot, you're going to see, to actually completely annihilate the people of God, the Jewish people. It's about genocide. It's about an existential threat to the very existence of the people of God. It's a huge deal. Now now the third main character is this guy by the name of Mordecai who is seen as very wise and very good. But here's the funny thing about Mordecai. He is a Jewish person who is in exile in this great city of Susa and he seems to be living among the people who are Gentiles. He seems to be following their customs, eating their foods, and kind of living by their standard. And, and and that's shocking. It's shocking particularly when you hold him up alongside another person who lived in exile by the name of Daniel, who, who actually got thrown like in a, a lion's den for standing for God and not eating the food and living separate. But, but these guys are actually marrying Gentiles. And, and they're just doing a lot of things that we would look at and we'd say, you know, and particularly a, a Jewish person would say, wow, that, that's not what we'd expect, and why would they be doing that? And, and, and because of that, the temptation would be for us to say, man, our heroes, we, we don't want them to be that messy. Now, the, the last one is, of course, Esther, Queen Esther. Her original name was Hadassah, which was a Jewish name, but actually because, they we're going to say in a minute, the Jews were under such terrible conditions, she hid her national identity... And she actually lived as this person, Esther. And as the story unfolds, you're gonna see she becomes the queen, but but she's living in hiding. And and these last two are the heroes of the book. And and what that is meant to communicate us to us is that God uses messed up people. He he uses imperfect people. He is actually a God who takes great delight in taking a messy story. And doing really cool things about that. We're going to say much, much more about that. What you have in Esther and Mordecai are two people living at a very messed up time. In a very difficult time, doing the best they can. And God shows up and uses them. Now the third thing that's really stunning, and you're going to discover this when you read it. i are going to talk deeply about this. It actually shows up in another part of the Bible, but it's really around a lot in Esther. There's a lot of violence in Esther. You know, if you actually made this movie honestly, it would be, you know, highly rated, not for kids kind of thing. Because this is a book about attempted genocide, and it's a book where where ancient hatreds are colliding together. And, and the ancient hatreds find their origin in a battle between the things of God and the things of the devil in, in darkness. And so this is an incredible book. It is a page-turner. This is a book that takes place, just so you know... After the children of Israel have their city of Jerusalem conquered and they're taken away into exile and, and, and some of them returned, but it happens between that and between the return of Nehemiah. And so this is before Nehemiah. Remember last year we looked deeply at the story of Nehemiah. But here's the thing you need to understand is that if Esther and Mordecai are not used by God to do what they do, well then Nehemiah never happens. And if Nehemiah never returns and never rebuilds the wall, well, Jerusalem never becomes a great city. And if it never becomes a great city, well, then Jesus never comes into Jerusalem and do all the things that the prophets and the prophecies said had to happen. And, of course, then Jesus, no Jesus, then there's no Christianity. And you know what else? There's no Jacob's well. There's no you and me. And so this story finds itself at a crucial linchpin where ordinary people who are kind of messed up at difficult times experiencing seemingly random events that don't seem to be connected with anything thousands of miles away from what seems to be the main story are actually crucial in the plan of God. And God just loves to tell stories like this. Now, it's a hard time... To be one of the children of God, because remember the Jewish people—they've had to flee their—they haven't fled from their homeland. They've been taken into slavery, into captivity, and now they're part of the empire that conquered them. And they've been in captivity for a while. But several things you should just understand about the people of God to understand just how precarious their situation is. Is first of all, they're scattered. They're scattered throughout all these 127 provinces, and so they can't find strength together. I don't know if you've ever felt scattered before, like you're being stretched too thin, that you don't have enough support, that there are people you love that you wish you were closer to, and life has just made it hard to be close to them. Well, these guys are scattered. In addition to this, they're, they're, they're persecuted. That This once great nation of Judea now had been thrown down, and because they're scattered all of their ancient enemies, particularly the Canaanites and, and other people who had been taken to captivity, are coming against them and plotting against them. And, and so, so, so they're very, very weak. And, and in addition to that, they're very vulnerable. They're so vulnerable that some of the Jewish people have begun, like Esther, to hide their identity. They were just going to lay low, fit in. And there's a crucial time in this book where Esther turns a corner. And she's deciding that her life does not belong to her, it belongs to God, and she makes a choice to risk it all. She actually moves from being an owner of her life to a steward of our life right before our eyes. I'm going to talk deeply about that. It's a beautiful thing. And the last thing you should understand about these people is that these are people who are barely surviving. Their identity, their connection with God, their well-being, and there's a lot of people wondering where God is. Why is he so absent? And, and there's some who would have been saying, you know what? We had our chance with God, and, and we messed it up, and, and we have gone too far. We have done too much. God has forsaken us. He's thrown us all over the place, and the story is over. I don't know if you've ever felt like God's given up on you, that you're the one person who, when he said, you know, forgive everybody, except Paul, you know, except there's, like, fine print or something in the Greek language or something like that. That, that, you know, I've just done it one too many times. I, I, my thing is worse. You know, if they knew a, not only what I did, but my thoughts and my hearts and all that, that somehow or another, I have been put on that list of people who have been forgotten by God. And so it's in this story that God shows up. And again, he shows up in the most wonderful way. Because you see him and you see the evidence of him without him being mentioned. And his absence in the actual words explodes in the actual story. Now to kind of illustrate this, I actually want to jump in to kind of the middle of the story and show you just an example of the one who's mentioned, who's not mentioned, but who is everywhere in in, in a passage, and perhaps the most uh, famous passage from this this book. And next week, we're going to start looking at each one of the characters. We're going to look at the king next week. So much there. going to be so good. You just want to come. You want to bring a friend. It's going to be good. Really down-to-earth kind of stuff. So, so here's the deal. I want to just show you this. So remember... Mordecai and Esther are the two main characters, and Mordecai is going to Esther, and he's challenging her to use her position as a queen, not for something for herself, like she's an owner, but to understand that this could be used by God to actually save her people. You don't need to worry about all those details, but just let me show you how God shows up even when he's not mentioned. Look what he says. It says, then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. So he sends a message to Esther, who's the queen. He says, now, our people are going to be wiped out. And he says, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise from the Jews from another place. So basically he says to Esther, he says, you know, Esther, you're in a position to do something about this. And don't think that you can just lay low and that'll be a good thing, which is a natural very human thought. It's an incredibly impossible time i'm just going to try to survive this but he says don't think that you will you should do that your family will survive he says and understand now this is the really cool part he says relief and deliverance will rise for the jews from another place and then mordecai stops now immediately you think well what's the big deal what the big deal is is this is the bible Because you would expect another sentence there, right? You'd expect something like, for the Lord God will send a deliverer as he has promised from David and the archangel and from the beginning. He would expect him to go on about God. Now, Mordecai was probably thinking that, and that certainly was on his heart, and that's certainly what was going on. But the fact that he's not mentioned, and he's never mentioned, but he is assumed, is meant for us to stop and say, Wow. This God who's not mentioned is very, very active. He's at work even when we can't see him. The invisible hand of God is part of this. Now, it doesn't stop there. Look at this next part. He says, but you and your father's house will perish. He says, and who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And so that's that famous line from the book of Esther where he says, you know what? It's no accident. Who knows? Maybe it was part of a plan. That you're where you're supposed to be. And that thing that seems random and accidental. Or maybe that you've even convinced yourself that you did yourself. Maybe there was someone behind it. There was a plan. There was an architect. There was a creator. And the assumption for Mordecai is this isn't just an accident. And again, you would expect him to say something like. For God in his sovereign wisdom has preordained blah, blah, blah. God, Jesus, all that kind of doesn't say any of that. He just leaves the hanging there, the emptiness there in verse 15. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, and this is the turning point for her. She says, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and look at this, and hold a fast. And what's missing? Fasting and prayer. This is like the only time in the Bible fasting is not associated with prayer. Hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days or nights. I and my young women will also fast. This is a declaration of dependence on God and going out on a limb and and risking it all and trusting that if I walk off the edge of this cliff, there's going to be something there to catch me. See, this is is meant to make the absence scream of the presence. This is meant to say to the people of God, at those times when God doesn't seem to be found, when he seems to be absent, when it seems like he's not working, that is when he's doing his most profound stuff. In us, around us, through us, that there is stuff that's way above our pay grade. Now, I could show you about a dozen other examples, but one of the things you're going to discover as you're reading through Esther is all the coincidences that take place. You're going to see that the king can't sleep on just this certain night, and he, and he looks at a book at just the right time. And you're going to see that a plot is discovered at just the right time. And the queen is able to, to express that to the king in just the right way. And you're going to see that, that the enemy, this Haman, is going to make a plan in preparation to destroy Mordecai. Only to have the whole thing just at the accidentally, coincidentally, everything's going to just fall together in an incredible way. And again, it never said... For the Lord God has ordained this and planned this and all this. That that absence of mentioning is meant to to, to make God huge in this story, not small in this story. We're meant to be able to to look at this story, which in many ways is a very secular story filled with the Spirit. It's a very secular story filled with the presence of God. It's like... Your work, which many times you don't think of being filled with the Spirit of God, but the God who maybe you don't notice Him there, or the school you go to, you think He's absent from there. The silly people who say they don't let God in the school anymore. That is a silly thing to say. God goes where He wants. And they can make all the rules about that they want. But the God who seems to be absent, very often is doing his most profound times. And very often in the history of God's people, when it's most difficult, when it's most difficult, hard, when we're most vulnerable and we're persecuted and, and we want to hide, it's when God shows up in a way that is completely unexpected. This is true in the, the, the part of your story and the little things and the big things, and it's part of the big story. Several just points for us to take this week about this, this story. And uh, in, in, in my hope in giving you these points is that God will give you new eyes. There's another cool story in the Old Testament where, where, where there was a servant of a prophet who couldn't see how God was going to deliver him. And he prayed, God, open the eyes of his heart that we might see. Other times people have literal scales fall off their eyes. And and my hope is that in your life and in the planning and the, the trusting of God, you will be given new eyes to see the invisible hand of God. And all those consequences and all those things and all those things that you thought were just you or something else, you'll actually be able to say, God, okay, God, you got this. You still get to be God. Good job being God, God. You know, that kind of thing. New eyes. So here's the thing. As part of the story that's being told, and remember, your story only has meaning... When you add your story to God's story. If your story is just your story, it ain't that great of a story. But when you add it to God's story, it becomes an eternal story. A story that will be told in the eternal heavenly places forever. So as part of being part of this bigger story, remember that, remember several things. First is, the one who's not mentioned chose and chooses the time. You say, you know what, I missed my opportunity, it's too late, too much, it's taken too long... He knows the time. The Bible says at just the right time, God, and God does all kinds of stuff. And so if you're feeling forgotten or left behind or it's too late, God chooses the time. Second thing is I'd say is the one who's not mentioned chooses the place. That is to say, Susa, some foreign capital a thousand miles away from the people of God and capital of Jerusalem, we're in the wrong place. I mean, the wrong place. Listen, God puts us in the place he wants us to be. Some of you think you're in the wrong place because you go to the wrong school. You're in the wrong job, you're in the wrong family, and you're focused on what you don't have rather than what you do, and your your eyes are blinded. And so remember, God, you put me in this place. And I don't know why you put me in this place, but I'm going to trust you in this place. Now, now the other thing, the next thing is the one who's not mentioned uses the circumstances. There are things that happen, hard things that happen in the lives of Christians that are just hard to understand somewhere, sometimes. But but the God who is the God who, who, who's not always seen, the invisible hand of God, chooses circumstances in your life, and he can take the hardest things, the most difficult things, and turn them into blessings for you, he might actually want you to go through a hard, difficult thing that might be a blessing for a future generation, or might be a blessing for a person you don't even know. And, 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 and we trust that there's a God who uses those things as part of his big plans and his personal plans for us as well. The other thing we see is that in the big story being told, that that, that the one not mentioned chooses the players. You know, uh, we would have rather that that Mordecai was more like Daniel, followed every rule upstanding, you know, that kind of guy. We would have wished that Hadassah and Esther would have never hidden away, that they would have been just these superheroes of faith. But you know how many of those there really are in the Bible? Jesus. Just about everybody else who God uses in the Bible, pretty messed up. Pretty messed up, pretty imperfect, pretty much struggling. And so we see that in this. And listen, God chooses the players, and here's what will surprise you, is God has chosen you. He's chosen you with the circumstances and the place and the time to do things that, that if you would let him, would blow your mind, and he'd become much more real. Last thing I'd say just about this is that the one who's not mentioned knows the whole story. And here's the end of the day, you just don't. You just don't know the whole story. There are things going on that are above our pay grade. You know, and there are times where God, I don't know what you're doing, you know, but you're God. And there are times in the story where Mordecai and Esther had to just be feeling, God, throw us a bone here. You know, come on. Really? We're already in captivity. Now you're going to wipe us out? I mean, what's going on? And there's a story going on here that is so much more powerful. And every now and again, he will string through some coincidences, coincidences, no such thing as coincidences, and we will see him doing something, and that will just be us taking a step back, and we will look, we have the eyes, say, okay, God, I see, all right, yep, you get to be God. Okay, I resign as God, and, and thank you, I'm sure you're grateful for my opinion of the job you're doing, but I'm just gonna let you be God in the midst of all this. You see, this is the thing we need to understand, is that following God by faith, is only possible when we don't have all the answers. When there are times that things don't make sense. When circumstances come that seem impossible. Because if we had all the answers, if it was really clear, it would be easy and it would be called certainty. But it doesn't say the righteous will live by certainty. It says the righteous will live by faith. And and the great heroes of the faith are the ones who follow God when the reasons for following God just don't seem that great. And one of the passages of scriptures that really blows this up is a passage of scriptures in Hebrews chapter 11. And that's actually one you're going to be looking at in the devotions this week. But let me just kind of walk you through um, a little bit of this and show you this. In, In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, it says this. It's talking about all the folks in the Old Testament who followed Jesus and Esther and Mordecai would have been included in this group. It says this. And here's the most important words, the first five words. These all died in faith. Okay, so every one of them came, lived, did some stuff, and then died in faith. And so he says, all of these are people of great faith. He says, now none of them have received the things that were promised. The things that were promised in the Old Testament, they just had to live in the promise, and, and they never saw them. He says, he says, they saw them far away, and they acknowledged them on earth, feeling on earth like stra- strangers and aliens. They believed in, in something that was coming that was better. Now, here's what I really want you to see. I want you to see that there's actually two lists of people here who are considered great people of faith. Now, the first one is the list I would prefer to be on. It says this. It says, those ones who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, that's probably a reference to Daniel, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women actually received back their dead for resurrection. Yeah, that's what I want my faith to do. And these folks were commended for that because that was their part of the story. But then there's verse 35. Who also lived by faith. Some were tortured and they refused to accept release. So they might rise again and receive a better life. Others suffered mocking and floggings and even chains and imprisonment. They were sewn, stoned and sawed in two and were killed by sword. They went about in skins and sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom this world was not worthy, wandering around in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of earth. And all of these, both lists, though commended through their faith, did not receive what they promised. There was a waiting. There's what theologians call the now and the not yet. That we receive the promises of God, but we anticipate the full reality of the promise of God. They're living in the midst of this story. And that's what we're going to see with Esther and Mordecai. That at those times where it just seems like, you know, God, what are you doing? Where are you at? Where is it? That's when God actually is actually doing his most profound work. And when we get glimpses of it, it's a glorious thing. Now, the writer of the book of Hebrews ends this time by challenging us to, to learn from these ones who've coming, be inspired from these ones who came before us. And, and look what he says. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses of those who've gone before us, what does it mean for us? He says, let us lay off every weight and the sin that so cling, uh, clings so closely and let us run our race with endurance, the race set before us. That there is a race that we're supposed to run and, and there, there's challenges we're going to face. And there will be times where we'll be conquering kingdoms and, 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 and doing great things. There will be other times where it looks like persecution, difficulty, disappointment, sickness, and all of it is lived by faith. You see, there's a God who gets to choose the circumstances and the time and the place. He Gets to choose the players. He gets to choose the circumstances, but it's part of his plan. And here's the deal. All of us who follow him through faith and whatever our part of the journey is, when we get to heaven and we see the glory that's waiting to be revealed, no one's going to go down and look down what went on earth and said, well, that wasn't worth it. That wasn't worth it. We're going to look back at the worst things that happened and say, thank God for that. Because that put me in the place to, to be set up to receive him, to receive the glory. Thank God that I was used in one of those times to struggle and to suffer and to serve in a way that maybe others weren't. And I'm humbled that God would actually call me to play that kind of a role. And, it, and, and that's the glory. It changes trials into gold. It, it makes it absolutely beautiful. And that is so much The story of Esther. And so let me just give you a couple points of encouragement. Trust the storyteller. God is a great storyteller. And the gospel is the story of God. And when your part of the story is not making sense, trust the storyteller. Because the second thing is you don't judge the story in the middle. Any good story has that point. They actually have a name for it in literature where it's horrible and then it turns. There's a turn. There's all kinds of little turns in life, but there's a big turn. It's called the return of Christ, where, where tears are dried and sicknesses are healed and justice is restored. Look, look for plot twists in your life. You may be sure this is bad, it's going to work like this, and then all of a sudden God shows up and eternally turns it around, that the worst things actually turn out to be the best things, and that God works in ways that we, we can't ever imagine. And then the last thing is just expect the heavenly after after. Because as Christians, we have the ultimate heavenly ever after. We we fix our mind on Jesus. That's what the last part of Hebrews said. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, the author and the, the storyteller who, for the joy set before him, endured his own scorn and shame, and and he he endured it. He endured it because he he knew that he'd be seated at the right hand of God, and that all things would be made. That this is a really really good story. We're part of. And we're at some pretty dramatic parts. I mean, in truth is, there's some struggles we have here. But at this time in history, we have brothers and sisters, you know this, right? Who, who, who have to hide to worship. Who will give their life up this week simply because they take the name of Christ. And, and their faith is something that, that, that just blows us away and humbles us. See, God is a God who's doing things that are just amazing. We get to see examples of it all the time. We you have a faith story this weekend, this is just a great story um, about really a player you want to have chosen, a really messy story, and just how God is turning it around, turning it around here in process in a really cool way. Let's go ahead and listen to Brandon's story.
1: Hi, my name's Brandon Herman. I'm from Lake Wissota. Uh, I've been coming to Jacob's Well for about nine months. Before I started following Christ, my life was, I guess you could say, sinful, turmoil. It just wasn't very fulfilling no matter what I did. Um, I was in the drug culture and everything that goes with that, evil and destruction. I was in prison while my little brother died. Um, I missed out on eight years of my children growing up. It's, It's just havoc. I mean, the things that you'll do when you're in that lifestyle is... As I look at it today, it's just crazy. At one point in my life, you know, I had thousands of dollars in my lap and a huge pile of drugs and I'm sitting in my Cadillac and I was chasing that and and I and I was I had everything I wanted and I still wasn't happy. Nothing I did fulfilled the need I had inside me. It was sad I look back at it today and it's like what a fool. What started turning my life around was when I stopped trying myself. Um, And I started praying to God and I started listening and taking advice from others. I actually met uh, a pastor on my last relapse and uh, got involved with with him in uh, some Bible study and started coming to Jacob's well and just started following through with something different. You know, following through with my prayer life and and leaving things to God that I can't bear and I am now a child of God and I'm going to follow His ways and and continue that. For me to find a relationship with Jesus and to be in a relationship with Jesus I know that He died on the cross for me He forgave me for all my sins Um, and that I worship Him I read His book I I try and become a better man every day follow His walk and uh, I don't look back I just keep moving forwards. I was baptized here at Jacob's Well. Since I'm clean and I'm, I'm turning a new chapter and actually ending an old book and starting a new book, right now I'm happy, I'm content. Um, but it, but it, you have to reach out. You can't do it yourself. I found that out. Coming to Jacob's Well is awesome. And the music and the, and the camaraderie and the fellowship here and the message that we get, it's just beautiful. I'm going to keep coming, I'm going to keep worshiping here and that's what I want to do. If I was going to encourage somebody who was struggling, I would say that everyone can change. On your own power, it's not going to get any better. You know, if you give up your will and let God's will take control things will change. Life will get better.
0: If any of you had the pleasure to get to know brandon in the last nine minutes you're just going to see an authentic real incredibly gentle loving guy and um you know the thing about it is though when we were doing the the faith story there was a lot more to the story um he said you know there might be some like police officers who'll be here and uh they're gonna know me and they're gonna know about me and i'm famous and a little infamous you know um and so uh I got quite a story, and it was twisting and turning and struggling. And and he said at one point, he said, You know, I was the guy who, if you saw in the paper I was going to jail, you would say, Good. Get that guy off the street. And he said, I was just going after it, and I was broken, and just the story, and and God came into his life. It, it's messy, it's 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 all over the place, but it's beautiful. I talked to Brandon this afternoon, just we're going to share a story this weekend. And he said, I'll be there at 10.45. He's going to sit over there. He always sits over there. And, and I'm going to be there with my, my group. It's his recovery group. <laughs> they're all going to come. And, and they're on that journey together. And it's the most beautiful, beautiful thing. See, that's the story God likes to tell. Don't you love stories like that? Well, God's telling stories. And, and so often we are so blinded by what we don't have and our disappointments and how our expectations of what God should be doing aren't met that we actually miss by faith the incredible things that God actually is doing. And so my challenge and my prayer for you this week that the God of heaven would send his spirit to open the eyes of your heart, that you would begin to see the hidden hand of God in all kinds of things. Those things that you might have called coincidences that you're going to start seeing are God's challenges. got some specific next steps for you. Join a group. You can do it uh, for the first time on on the website jacobswellchurch.church. If your group hasn't decided what they're going to do, get your Esther material. Um, This is just going to be a great journey for you to just really see God use you and has potential to change the whole paradigm of your life. We've written an incredible Esther devotion. I say by we, I say mostly Lord Gary and She's done just a beautiful job, just a, a, a prayer warrior seeking God. And there's stuff in here that'll change your life. Your devotion's in here. Small group material is in here. There's all kinds of other things help you um, along the way. Um, you pick these up. I guess they're, they're, it's like two bucks suggested donation. We got those at the Connection Center. If you want to talk to somebody, by the way, about a group, Grant and some of his team are back uh, at the back in any of the, the con- Connection gathering areas and you can talk to them as well. Um, I want to encourage you Get work as worship on your calendar. Just get it on your calendar. You take a day. You know, I get it. That's a tough thing. It's a big ask. It's a big ask. I get that. But you want to come out for that. Even talk to your boss. They may just give it. It's a, it's a leadership development thing because that's really what it is. And so you come out for that. could really change everything. for your employer, send your employees. Just be a good thing to invest in them. And then the last thing I just want to challenge you with in the spirit of next steps is I want to challenge you to pray and to watch. Pray and to watch. Pray with expectation that, God, I just believe you want to do some things in my life. I believe that you want to do some things in my church. God, I, I just believe you want to do some things that only you can do. Because church has a lot of plans and a lot of things we're trying to do, but none of that matters if your spirit doesn't fill it with your power. We, we can't convince people, we can't change lives, but you can change hearts. God, just tell a good story. and God, use me in whatever way you want to do that. So pray and then watch, and you'll start noticing the hidden hand of God all over the place. I'm going to go ahead and invite the team to come out. And as they come out, I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. Let's pray together. (sighs) Father, I have confessed that there have been times with me in my life that I've been frustrated with you. I've been angry with you. I've been disappointed with you. I had expectations about what you were going to do and how you were going to do something. And it was just, it was just, I just didn't get it. And so I thought you had abandoned me. There are times I, even thought you maybe were cruel. There are other times I thought you gave up on me because I've just been too bad. I'm the one who, who's just beyond your love. Father, I just ask forgiveness for all that perspective and all that, and I just pray that you just take those scales off my eyes and off the eyes of your people here. I pray, Father, for anyone who's carrying the burden of disappointment that are facing circumstances that are just crazy difficult, and Father God, I would pray that you'd begin to, to show them that you're the God who puts the right people in the right place, and you're telling a bigger story than we can even begin to understand. And so, Father God, Father God, I would just pray that you'd open up the eyes of our hearts. You'd send the Spirit this week. I pray that hundreds of people will invest in taking time with you through devotions. I pray that hundreds of people will take time to invest in group life. I pray that we would learn to begin to start sharing and communicating our faith in ways we never had before in a way that's real and authentic to each one of us. Thank you for stories like Brandon's. I just pray blessing on him and on his family as he's still in the middle of his journey. I just pray, Father God, that you just gain glory for yourself. what a good God you are, what a good God you are. Now receive our praise through the song of worship, because um, you're just that good and you're that worthy. In Jesus name, amen.